Amen. Amen. Why don't you go ahead and have a seat? And uh, let's get started. It's good to see you guys. I'm glad to get Ironworks going again. Here we are on a Saturday morning. Donuts, coffee, good stuff. Um, uh, we, we basically have been tackling some topics as it relates to the brothers and what our roles are as, as leaders, as men. We've covered everything from, you know, leadership to, um, you know, I, sh- I shouldn't say covered. I'm going to say we've touched on topics of um, leadership and family, marriage, and, um, um, you know, even issues of, you know, addiction and uh, pornography and anger. We've talked about a ton of stuff, and and we're just going to kind of keep, you know, dealing with some of these topics uh, that I think are um, kind of important for us to to talk about that that we may not want to do as much in the church congregational setting on a Sunday morning, but man, I think uh, we, we've got work to do. And, and it's funny because um, I've, I've heard pastors, uh, some, some churches now, they've got what they call the teaching pastor. And, um, and I get that. I, I, and, and a lot of times bigger churches will do that, where there's the teaching pastor, and then there's other pastors that do the, the real work. Uh, <laughs> and I say that because, because teaching's the fun part. Like, like for me, uh, getting up and just sharing the word, that's like the funnest thing I get to do. Um, and uh, I enjoy that. But, uh, but so some pastors say, well, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do that part and then let other people do counseling or hook up with people, talk to real, real people. And um, the only concern I have for pastors that do that is I think they can lose touch a little bit with the real person. Like what's, what's a real person going through? You know, I, I oftentimes want to know what's the average Athe Creek dude uh, dealing with? And um, and, uh, I, you know, I, I, um, I, I always want to kind of keep that. I, um, my dad always said, Brett, when you're, when you're a pastor, you're going to be the pastor that's going to not be the, the guy that's going to draw the cardigan-wearing, pipe-puffing uh, intellect. You're going to be the pastor. The guy's going to show up in his, you know, dicky overalls, coveralls with diesel, as a diesel mechanic. He'll come in, and he'll get recharged and hear the word and be fed and encouraged, and then go back to work and be a light in that place. So like my dad said, you know, Brett, you're that guy. And, and I think he was right. He said that years ago. And I, I like to be able to uh, hang with the guys and know what you guys are dealing with, you know, out in the world uh, and stuff like that. Um, by the way, Motocross Tuesdays, we haven't been doing that for a while, but that was kind of a good thing for me just on a Tuesday night with a bunch of Athic. Sometimes we'd have like 30, 40 guys out there riding dirt bikes at the motocross track. And, um, but it was cool because we were just there with a bunch of guys, whether they're church guys. I don't know, there's probably 150 riders uh, at the track every Tuesday night. And just a chance to sort of um, uh, talk with the guys and, and uh, hang out. I kind of missed that a little bit because it's been too kind of too busy, honestly. I did bust out the dirt bike last week, though. I uh, blew, blew out some cobwebs, uh, and it was great. Oh, it still runs, too, man. I hadn't, I, I hadn't fired it up for over two years. Um, but uh, KTM 505 XCF, <laughs> magic button, you know, it's great. I love that. Um, I used to have an old CR500, you know, you'd try to kick it. It's like, and he had to weigh as much as me just to get the thing started. Like, you know, it was um, crazy. But anyway, uh, so, you know, we, we had a good time at the Dunes, actually, last week. Uh, Sunday after church, we headed out and did some fun stuff out in the sand. But, uh, uh, you know, just being able to uh, know what guys are dealing with. And then also in marriage and uh, counseling, I still do a lot of that. And um, uh, there's, there's oftentimes topics in the church that sort of surface as something that's of a great concern. And this is one that's been, for the last several years, uh, been a great concern. And it's funny because 
Um, as we've been going through the Old Testament verse by verse, it hasn't really come up a lot uh, in, in, um, in our through the Bible study, but when we get to the New Testament, it's going to come up. And I, I think the last time I went through, I, I didn't really see as much of the problem that we have in the modern day marriage or in church uh, as we went through the New Testament last time. And uh, now I kind of look in retrospect and think, man, I probably should have tackled this a little harder uh, uh, when we were in the New Testament then. So now it's a chance for me to kind of jump in and talk about something that I think is huge. Um, and let's go ahead and go with our, our mantra verse uh, first uh, of, of these ironwork studies. Um, go with me to Proverbs. Uh, you know, this is Proverbs 27, uh, 17. Um, and uh, as, we, as we've called this series that we've been doing on these Saturdays uh, once a month, Ironworks, it's because of Proverbs 27, 17. And there it says, Iron sharpeneth iron, so a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friend. Um, and if you're in your Bible there, you can mark that word countenance. It's an interesting word, pane, in the Hebrew text of the Old Testament. And um, the word pane, it's not just, you know, countenance, like, it's not really a word we use as much anymore, I don't think. But, um, it, you know, when we think of countenance, you think of the way your face looks. I think that's the way I think of it. Um, and that is an accurate uh, view. And, and the word pane does speak of your face, um, and that majors on your face. Um, but, but it also, this word pane has to do with your face, but your whole being, your, every part of you, uh, and how you uh, come off in your actions, in your attitudes, your face, but even your gestures and the way you move. And like, are, you know, what is your countenance? And, um, you know, everybody's got their own countenance. Uh, it always cracks me up being a pastor watching faces of people during Bible teaching, you know. Um, and, uh, you know, I think, you know, it's, it's funny because some of you have really grouchy faces and you just don't even know it. You know, you're like, if I didn't know some of you guys, I'd be thinking, I'd be thinking, man, you hate me. Because like, you're like, you know, you eyeballing me. It makes me want to say that to you guys. But I know you're just, in, in your heart, you're just like full of joy and, and all that stuff. Um, but actually, uh, you know, there's, there's the whole thing of the yes face and the no face. And um, that's kind of a key thing for a man, I think. Because um, uh, the topic even, by the way, that we're dealing with here has to do a lot with your countenance. Um, and, and, and the area of abuse, talking about abuse. Um, and I think a lot of men don't even know sometimes when they're being sort of abusive because they don't know what their countenance really looks like or what it sounds like or what your posture is. Um, your posture is part of this word panay. Um, there's a difference in posture. Um, it's funny how you can tell what a guy's doing and thinking a lot by his posture. There's people that study this stuff. Um, it's like when Tad and I were at Taco Bell, a big shock, and um, this was years ago, and we were down there just enjoying some burritos and tacos and stuff, and, and uh, as soon as this dude walked up, we knew there was something up because of his posture. It was the way he was kind of like, like he was like, he was in his more uh, aggressive stance, and he pulls out of this big army jacket a big knife, and he says, give me your money, and he points it to me. And, um, and I looked at Tad for a second, and we both just burst into laughter. Um, and I don't know why we did that, but, uh, um, but the guy was like shaking, and he was like, as you could tell, he was like, it was just his demeanor. Uh, and we just thought it was funny because, you know, he could go for me, but then you have to deal with Tad. 
uh, or, you know, I don't think he can take us both, even with his little, you know, knife and stuff. And uh, I don't know, it just didn't feel like he could really do what he wanted. Uh, and I was ready for him. I was ready for him. But, um, but we just laughed. And, and, then, um, and then the guy got really mad and he slammed the knife on the, on the table there at Taco Bell and he ran out of the, of the building. I thought, man, that's the answer. Just laugh your way to uh, not being robbed. Um, but uh, the posture, I knew. I, right, as soon as I saw him, I knew. And, and um, sometimes we aren't even aware, like when you talk to your children or when you talk with your wives or when you talk with your mother, uh, what is your posture? Uh, uh, and that's kind of a, a key. The countenance, that's, that's what that word actually means. In the New International, I think it leaves it out altogether. Uh, the, the Hebrew pene, they, they just didn't even translate it. What does the New International Version say there in verse 17? A man sharpeneth another. Um, and that's, that's uh, if you look at the Hebrew text, the word pene is sharpening the, your demeanor, your, count, your countenance, and what have you. And that's really what Ironworks is all about. I, I'd love to see us both in physical countenance, pene, but in, in spiritual posture and, and appearance. Uh, body, soul, and spirit, that we as men sharpen each other. And um, I think we need to do that. Um, we, we like to be men that are unaccountable. We like to be independent, and we don't want anybody being the boss of me. And so it's so easy to just, and, and our culture really supports that. Um, but the Bible supports submission. Submit yourselves one to another, the Bible says. Um, accountability, you know, things we've talked about. We've done whole uh, ironworks on, on accountability and, and having brothers that know you well enough they could put you in jail if they wanted to. Uh, they know all your deepest, darkest secrets. Like, that's really a healthy, good thing, to submit yourself one to another and, and have them help sharpen you, sharpen your countenance, your demeanor. And so that's kind of the first verse that I wanted to go to. Then, then go just turn back about an eighth of an inch to your Bible and go to Psalm 19. Um, this is a Psalm of David. Uh, and I'm just going to give you one short little verse here that's, that kind of catches my attention often when I read through this. It's Psalm 19. Everybody knows, you know, verses 7 through 11 of Psalm 19, you know, it's, it's, a, it's an old song, but it's often memorized. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul, that whole thing. And it's really good stuff. But what, what often is overlooked is the, the verse right after that whole famous section um, is uh, Psalm 19, verse 12. David says, Who can understand his errors? Cleanse thou me from secret faults. Um, interesting. And then he goes and says in verse 13, keep back thy servant also from presumptuous sins. Um, let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be upright and I shall be innocent from the great transgression. What's the great transgression? Presumptuous sins. Um, and it's kind of interesting because, um, um, you know, Webster's talks about presumptuous um, as, um, uh, you know, getting behind what is, uh, uh, what is right or proper. Uh, so the idea of, of saying, man, we need to know that we're not just going to presume uh, to know what's right and wrong, but actually knowing what's right and proper for, for real, legitimately. So David's saying something about himself. He's saying, I, I don't want to just be presumptuous and assume I'm a great guy, that everything's great. Don't be presumptuous. And even that's a sin of presumption. And then he says, but Lord, cleanse thou me of my secret faults. He says, who can understand his errors? Have you ever, have you ever been a, in a place in your life where you're, you've sinned or you do things or you have a propensity to sin and, um, and you don't even know where it comes from? Uh, I hear that from time. Man, I don't even know what got into me. I don't even know why that came out of my mouth. Um, and the answer to that is 
There's secret faults hidden in your heart. And, you know, how do you know what's in a, a cup of water? You tip it over. <laughs> and it, whatever comes out, that's what was already there. And it's funny how um, when you get tipped over, what comes out? What comes out of your life? Um, you know, it's, it's interesting because um, uh, I've heard it said, you know, Christians are like tea bags. Uh, you'll know what flavor you are when you put in hot water. And in life, uh, when you go through hard things and difficult things, what, what flavor do we see? What are those, those inner man issues where, you know, you have these secret faults, presumptuous sins that we don't even really know much about who we are or what, we, what we're doing? And um, th- those secret sins are the ones that are oftentimes the most uh, unattractive. And people don't like to talk about it. So like when we did our, our ironworks on pornography, that, that's a tough one. Guys don't like to talk about that. Um, but that's where I believe a, a small group of guys, a few brothers that you can make yourself accountable to actually talk about that subject often and say, man, how are we doing? How are we doing with lust? And are we dealing with those things? And, and, and um, praying for each other. And, you know, when somebody fails, you're not there to judge them, but you're there to help pick them up again and pull them back into the battle, you know, and, and uh, that's what men need to do. Um, and so on the issue of abuse, that's another one of those unseemly uh, topics, and nobody wants to talk about it, but it's also one of the most presumptuous things, where guys, I think sometimes they don't even know that what they're doing is wrong. Um, I think there's a large degree of that. And, um, and so this idea of cleansing our secret faults, that's part of the topic today with the issue of abuse. Um, so go with me then to 1 Peter, New Testament, toward the end of your Bible, uh, 1 Peter chapter 3. So um, I'm going to uh, focus in and make a quick disclaimer. Um, I understand that abuse can go across uh, various lines. And um, largely, I'm not going to talk about if you're the abused one as the man. Um, that's a real thing, by the way. Uh, I've seen that. I've been a part of marriage counseling where like, the, the wife busted the chops, literally, of her husband, uh, broke his tooth off with a punch. Uh, um, I've seen that. Uh, like there, there are situations where like a big strong man who will not, you know, retaliate, his wife will just, you know, beat him up. Uh, that actually happens. So I'm not diminishing that, but that's a fairly rare situation. Uh, and I don't see that very often. But what I'm bumping into a lot more is men being abusive to women. So that's going to be our main focus. I'm not diminishing the other. I'm just saying there's a huge number of issues that we have with the other. So I'm going to kind of focus on that. Um, men abusing women, and, uh, and that's kind of going to be our main focus. Now, it could be uh, your wife. We could be talking about your girlfriend. By the way, there, there's a lot of uh, um, abuse that goes on in dating relationships uh, that, that is kind of a shocking trend right now. Uh, and then also, um, uh, we'll talk about, just, just to throw it in there, um, abuse of your own mother. Um, and if you're a young guy, the way you treat your mother is oftentimes the way you're going to treat your spouse. Um, you can see some hints of trouble to come in your own life if you have difficulty treating your mom with real respect and treat, treating her as the Bible tells us to treat our mothers. Um, so, so those are kind of the, the focal points of what we're going to talk about. But, um, you know, Peter deals with this issue of marriage, and we've actually tapped into this verse because it's such a big one, I think, for men, and, uh, and yet it deals with this issue, I think, of abuse uh, in kind of an indirect way. First Peter chapter 3 uh, we, you'll remember verse 7. There in 1 Peter 3, 7, it says, Likewise, you husbands, dwell with your wives according to knowledge, 
That means to know her, understand her, uh, her feelings, and be caring about what she's thinking, all that stuff. Uh, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife, as unto the weaker vessel, and, being, uh, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. Remember we talked about that uh, in some of our pre- previous studies. Verse 8, finally, be ye all of one mind, having compassion one of another, love as brethren, be pitiful. The word pitiful there, I think some of the newer translations rightly put it, tender-hearted means uh, just being really, you know, we got to soften things up, which is hard sometimes as guys. We usually become coarse and hard and prickly, but uh, here's the Lord saying, I want you to be tender-hearted and also be courteous there, verse 8. Verse 9, not rendering evil for evil. Yeah, but Brett, she did this and that. Doesn't matter. The Bible says that as husbands, we're not to render evil for evil. Um, If they treat you badly, it doesn't mean you retaliate, is the idea there. Um, It says not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing, but contrary, instead of railing or or, uh, retaliating, uh, blessing, knowing that you are thereunto called, that you should inherit a blessing. Uh, the interesting thing is the Lord says, if you don't treat your wife nicely, I'm not going to hear your prayers. That's what he said right there in verse 7. But then he says, but if you do treat her with compassion and tenderness, um, then there's a, there's a blessing that you don't even know about. He says right there that you will inherit, there's a particular blessing linked to the man who treats his wife with kindness, to be courteous, gentlemanly, soft. Uh, these are the things that the Bible teaches. Um, and so the idea of, of abuse uh, is so contrary to the Bible. And we'll, uh, let's explore that a little bit. Um, by the way, uh, is abuse really a problem? Well, interestingly, the studies show that abuse, uh, in, even in the church among Christians, is equal to that of the secular world. Um, uh, and the studies say this. Now, um, it's funny how many studies come out and say stuff like that. I think there are groups that try to slant studies and um, one thing, for example, have you guys heard the statistic that Christian marriages uh, end in the same amount of divorces as the world? Have you guys heard that statistic? That's totally wrong, and it's not even close. Uh, that's just a false uh, bit of information that somehow got out there, and uh, the stats are actually way better. If you're a Christian uh, and you're a married couple, your odds of surviving is marriage uh, and not getting a divorce is way better than the world. That's kind of an interesting thing. I have to say, I've quoted statistics and studies that were done on that uh, in times past, and I've had to go back and re, uh, re-up my information because um, the stats are alarming. But I did some, some research on this one, and it's, as it turns out, it seems that um, abuse is prevalent in the church, and we have to really uh, kind of take a look at this. So um, between three and four million adult women in the United States are abused yearly by Um, what they would call their intimate partner. About one in four women is likely to be abused by a partner in her lifetime. One in four, that's uh, that's shocking to me. Um, A study conducted in emergency room walk-in clinics um, uh, and walk-in clinics reported that 54% of a sample of women treated in emergency departments had been threatened or physically injured by a partner. Um, So that's that's bad. um, Domestic violence... Uh, is the number one public health issue facing women and children in the United States today. Listen to this. 75% of calls uh, to 911 
75% of calls related to 911 are related to domestic violence. The following statistics uh, demonstrate the pervasiveness of this crime. Battering is the single greatest cause of injury to women in the United States, more than muggings, rape, and auto accidents combined. Um, battering. Uh, domestic violence is the leading cause of injury to women between the ages of 15 to 44. One out of every four women in this country uh, experienced, uh, I already gave you that one, um, women are more often victims of domestic violence than victims of burglary, muggings, or any other physical crimes combined. 42% of murdered women are killed by their intimate male partner, boyfriend or you know, husband is the idea there. 42% of murdered women are killed by their husband or their you know, boyfriend. Um, these, these are scary, uh, tweaked out uh, uh, norms in our culture that need to be dealt with. And, um, you know, and so it starts to make you wonder, um, what are we talking about? We have to define some terms here, guys, and I think um, uh, we'll use the, some of the scriptures to help us understand this, but also um, what, uh, what basically years of watching abuse in, in my own you know, counseling time, but also in some of the stuff I've been reading, it's kind of heartbreaking. But first of all, let's, let's make the difference between bad behavior and abuse. There, there's a difference. Um, and the reason this is important, and, and it's hard because uh, if, we were, if I were talking to a group of women, uh, this would actually be really important. Uh, ladies, identify if your husband is just behaving badly or is he being abusive. And the reason that's such a critical deal, and, and here's the problem, one of the biggest problems that we deal with um, when it comes to abuse is when women come to the church and to the pastors and say, I'm being abused. And here's the problem, it's such a conundrum because um, you kind of have to believe the woman. Like, there's no room to just kind of say, mm, I don't believe you. Like, we just don't do that at Athey Creek. Um, if a woman comes and says she's being abused, that's such a serious topic. Now, now most of the time when a woman says that, I, we, and, and she's, especially if she's clear about it, um, one of the hardest things is how many times women think they're being clear uh, about how their husband's being abusive, but they're not. And so they, they'll say, well, I really don't like the way my husband's acting. <laughs> and, and in her mind, she just told us he's being abusive. Uh, and, she, and that's for various reasons, whether it's fear or, uh, you know, I mean, which is a legitimate problem in this area of abuse. And, and you know, they, they don't want to just boldly say, hey, my husband's, you know, doing this and this and this. And so it, it becomes really difficult over the years. And, and by the way, I've studied this at length. And it's not just the pastors that struggle with this one, you know, because we always have this battle between pastors and psychology. Uh, and counselors and stuff. And the battle is this, who really knows the human soul better, God and the Bible or Freud and psychology? Which one knows the most? And I always kind of lean toward the Lord and his word. And uh, there are some good truths in psychology. Don't get me wrong, I'm not saying it's all stupid, but uh, there's a lot of stupidity in psychology. There's no stupidity in the word of God. Um, but here's the problem with this whole idea of psychology and the word and all this stuff is um, even the psychologist and the, the secular counselor has a hard time identifying if a woman's really being abused or even knowing if she's being abused. Like it's the same problem. And they even admit that as much as pastors. It's funny how I'll see articles, you know, churches are really clumsy when it comes to identifying abuse in a marriage relationship. And I would say, correct. But so is everybody else. 
Everybody else is clumsy on that one because it, it's such an evasive uh, kind of topic. And, and rarely do you find a, a woman who will just come in and say, here's what's happening, and just spell it out very clearly and, uh, and say, this is the abuse and, and I need help. And those are, the, those are the ones that are easy to identify. And, and then, then sometimes the church drops the ball in dealing with that uh, issue. Um, uh, but but um, the secular world has the equal problem of identification when a person is being abused. And then there's, a, there's another little problem is, is um, often in some circles of psychology, everything's abuse. If you look at someone cross-eyed, you've been abused. Uh, you know what I mean? Like, like and so abuse, uh, you know, they'll, they'll identify bad behavior as abuse, and I don't think that's fair. Uh, because then every man in this room is an abuser, right? If bad, be- have you ever, how many of you guys have behaved badly in your marriage? Yes, me too, uh, daily. Uh, Brett, should you be our pastor? No, I, I, I seriously, like it, it's amazing how easy it is to just do stupid stuff and behave badly. So the difference between bad behavior and abuse is, is, is let me help you with that. Bad behavior can be something like being rude or thoughtless or self-serving, um, and it's, a, it's something that you're doing that's sinful, even sinful. That's bad behavior. But abuse, or domestic abuse specifically, is an ongoing behavior. Listen, you might even want to write this down. Domestic abuse is an ongoing behavior with the desired end of hurting, controlling, manipulating, I'll go through this again, demeaning another person. Let me read that again. Domestic abuse is an ongoing behavior with the desired end of hurting, controlling, manipulating, demeaning another person. And when we say another person, it's a specific person. See, bad behavior is indiscriminate. Your bad behavior will often be to everyone. You'll treat me badly. You'll treat your wife badly, your kids badly, because of sin, and you're just being a, a sinful dude. And that's bad behavior. But abuse tends to be focused on one person. See, that's another tricky part of abuse is with a man. There might be guys even in this room that hanging out, you know, uh, slurping some coffee and eating donuts. Greatest guy in the room, man. We have a great time talking. Man, he's a nice guy. What a cool guy. But who knows who he is at home? That's the thing that I've kind of been shocked at is um, really meeting real abusive men. Sometimes you'd never call it. In, in a congregational setting or at work or knowing who really is an abuser. Um, and, and it's funny how a, a, a person can totally change when it comes to their partner, their spouse, their wife. Um, and, uh, and, and that's where it gets really tricky. Um, so domestic abuse tends to be focused on one person. Usually it's your wife or your girlfriend or something like that, or maybe even your mother. Um, and by the way, there's a culture of men that really... Um, somehow grow up with that notion that women are inferior. Tuck that away. Um, and where did that culture come from? I wonder if some people have wrongly read the scriptures and sort of think that men are just better than women. Uh, because, well, Brett, you read it, uh, you know, First Peter 3, you know, 7. Uh, the woman is the weaker vessel. Uh, I can bench press more than my wife. Um, well, wow, aren't you something? Uh, uh, um, now, you say, yes, she's weaker, so that makes her inferior. Well, the Bible doesn't know that at all. We'll talk about that in a second. Um, that's just misuse of God's Word. Um, and you've heard the, you know, the whole argument on, on the weaker vessel. We're talking about a vessel. 
Um, and the weaker vessel doesn't mean it's less than. Rubier mug, wine glass. Which is the more fancy, more coveted, probably more valuable vessel? The rubier mug or the wine glass? The wine glass is the weaker vessel, but it's the one that is put on display. It's the one you're careful with. Uh, the rubier mug, man, you can slam it around. Who cares if you lose it or break it? Whatever. Um, see, that's the thing. It's not a greater than or less than kind of thing. But in our culture, and, and I'm going to say even in the church culture because of perhaps bad teaching over the centuries, um, you know, women are to submit to men, and the woman's the weaker vessel. And so there's this whole notion that men are in charge because we're smarter and better. And that's wrong. Uh, and you guys know it, don't you? Uh, if you even have half a brain, guys, you know that your wives are not uh, less than. Um, but if you really think about it for more than 10 seconds, um, our wives are kind of amazing, and they're pretty incredible. And uh, man, the church would be messed up if we didn't have women in this church. Uh, man, the, the women bring such a rich, important part. Now, we are different. I'm not with all the other weirdos that say there's no difference between men and women. That's just dumb. Uh, um, they're trying to raise these kids, you know, gender neutral now. Have you seen these articles and saying, we're going to just live uh, totally? But they're, I guarantee it, they're going to find the boys will make a, a gun out of a, a pencil. Uh, and the girls will find something to make a dress. And like, uh, I think the Lord built into us uh, different proclivities and things that we like and enjoy. And, uh, and I'm, I'm, I know that there's different uh, parts of that spectrum. But generally, we're just wired different. But praise the Lord for that. I love our differences, and I think it's awesome. And the more we try to act like there's no differences, the poorer culturally we are. So this idea of women being inferior is, is not a Bible theme, and I would challenge anybody uh, to, to uh, debate uh, whether women are less than men. Yeah, but Brett, Eve, she sinned first in the garden. Um, you know, and that's why, you know, in First Timothy, you know, women are supposed to be silent in subjection in the church. Hey, we've taught through all that stuff. Um, but the, the truth is, at least Eve, when she sinned, she thought she was doing something to be enlightened. She thought it was going to be better for her. She listened to the lie of Satan. What did the man, what was his first sin? <laughs> There's a woman, and she's naked. And here's an apple, big boy. Uh, like, we fell for that old trick, the naked lady with an apple. Uh, and that's real intelligent, guys. We, we did great there. Adam, you're just like all of us, you know. It's like, it's like uh, at least Eve was trying to do something, uh, you know, good, uh, even though she was misguided and all that. Um, but, but it's funny how we all tend to think that the Bible is diminishing women. And, and because of that culture that has happened over centuries, um, I think that there's this thing where men just kind of carry themselves like we are superior, um, and we, we're the boss, and that, that she better listen to what I'm saying. And, and, and if you've been raised with that kind of an idea, man, that's a hard one to break, and it needs to be broken. We'll talk about that as we get further. So, so the idea of, of uh, abuse versus bad behavior, domestic abuse is ongoing behavior with desired end of hurting, controlling, manipulating, demeaning another person, and that's a specific person. Now, another part of definition when somebody says they're being abused, um, uh, and, um, and the, the problem is I feel like our definitions are clumsy, um, and that is, what is abuse? I'm going to show you four basic ones that I've seen uh, in, in what I would call abuse, and there's first, of course, physical abuse. That's the most obvious, and I, I would say it's perhaps um, um, 
the most dastardly, just because it's so plainly hurtful, although the other ones can be so emotionally hurtful and stuff, and, and sometimes I think women would almost rather be physically hurt in some ways than, um, than emotional wounds. Um, and, and I don't get that. It's like, it's so heartbreaking to see what women will put up with um, in this area of physical abuse. And uh, I'm amazing, uh, it's amazed how tough women can be with abusive, you know, horrible husbands. It's kind of a, a profound thing. But uh, the physical abuse is the most obvious, hitting. Um, I'm gonna list some stuff here. And the reason I'm gonna list it because is God forbid if any of you guys are doing these things, I'm gonna make a list here, and if you're doing these things, you need to kind of say, wait a minute, I gotta check myself. Um, so hitting, of course, twisting, squeezing, strangling. Um, and by the way, um, there's guys that I've found in, in counseling that have learned how to be physically abusive and not leave a mark. Like guys are so dastardly, they do stuff like sitting on their wives or um, held down, hands on throat, um, they'll, uh, physical abuse includes uh, locking someone into a room or not letting them leave a room or, or what have you um, to be trapped in any way, shape, or form. Damaging other things, um, you know, holes in walls punched, doors broken down, windows, furniture's broken, uh, objects thrown, hurting, or even killing pets. These are the things I've seen in marriage counseling where guys, this is physical abuse. You say, well, Brett, what if you're punching a wall? You're not hurting her. Um, the, uh, the funny thing is, when you're a guy, a big, strong guy, and you see another big, strong guy punch a hole through the wall, you kind of go, whatever, uh, that's going to hurt his knuckles. Like, that's what we think. But if you're the one that's not in the powerful position, and this big, powerful person who's angry at you starts doing stuff, throwing stuff, and punching walls, um, that's horrifying. Um, I have a buddy who's, who's tough, tough guy, um, and uh, just, just, you wouldn't want to tangle with this guy. But I remember when we were in high school, he used to go, uh, he had this thing where he'd go up to Alaska uh, and uh, do the whole fishing during the summer, and he'd get on a fishing vessel, and, and he'd come back as a high school kid, you know, and he'd be driving, like, I remember this way, he came in, like, driving his brand new car uh, after summer, because he'd, he'd work for three months. They wouldn't let him off the ship. They'd go out on the ship, for three months, he'd work hard, come back loaded, you know, and that was, that was his thing. Well, this one year he came back, and I said, hey, man, I was fishing this year, and he said it was the most horrifying, like he was, he was dead serious, it was the most horrifying three months of my life. I said, what are you talking about? Well, it was just this particular uh, fishing boat, it was just him and the captain, uh, and he didn't know the guy. He just, was like, I'll sign up three months, but, you know, the captain is the king of the world when you're out there in that boat, and this guy was an angry drunk, and every night, he, you know, my buddy Jim said, every night this guy tried to kill him. Like literally with, with hooks and, and, you know, spears, and like running around the boat, literally. If the guy wasn't drunk, Jim said, I would have been killed. He even got nicked in a scar and stuff. Like it's an amazing, amazing story. For three months, he was running for his life. He'd work during the day, um, and then at nighttime, he started drinking. He'd hide somewhere in the ship, and hopefully he wouldn't find him. Um, like, like, um, but the reason I say that is um, I saw like something in, in his eyes when he was telling me the story about what it feels like to be vulnerable, which he's not that guy. Like uh, who, 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 what, what man has ever really felt that vulnerability? I think very few guys have ever been in that place. But that's why um, oftentimes people associate physical abuse, not just with, you know, harming physically the person, but um, being violent physically with objects, doors, of course, uh, pets, windows, stuff like that. Uh, that's physical abuse. 
Okay, you guys with me so far? Number two, emotional abuse. That means playing with, controlling a person's heart. Um, uh, you can be abusive emotionally if you um, withdraw your love. Uh, or if you're not affectionate and you say, I'm, I'm going to just be mean. Uh, or not show any love at all. A person, by the way, needs love. Um, that's one of the uh, primary drives of the human condition. And I would suggest that our wives need more than you do. It's like, um, um, you know, your wife has a love bucket and you need to keep that full. That's your job as a husband, fill that love bucket. And I'll just tell you something, guys, they have holes in them, <laughs> holes in the buckets. Um, I'm just telling you, this, this is, you, you, you guys that are young and not married yet, this is, this, you guys should, this is, write this down, okay? <laughs> this is big. Um, but the love bucket is giant. And so, like, when I got married in 1987, August 15th, 30 years ago, um, I told Debbie on that wedding that I loved her. And I really thought, check, okay, now she knows I love her because I married her. And I don't need to tell her I love her every day because, you know, she knows. I, but that's not true. Um, what I found is you got to say uh, how much you love her, and you got to mean it three or four, ten times a day, okay? Like, and, and keep that love bucket nice and full. It's, if, a, if a guy is willingly, purposely saying, I'm not going to let her get that. I'm not going to let her heart be settled because I'm going to hold withhold my love from her. That's emotional abuse. Um, and it's not godly. It's not biblical. There's no case that can be made for that. It's just abusive emotionally. Um, so playing with controlling a person's heart, with withdrawal of love, um, withdrawing of affection, withdrawing of intimacy romantically, that's, that can, uh, you know, it's amazing to me where I've seen guys with, withhold um, intimacy romantically for years. And when I hear about that in a, in a marriage situation, there's usually a few things that go through my mind, and, uh, and, I'll, and I'll usually approach the guy on it as one, he's either being emotionally abusive, or two, he's just totally into porn. But one of the quickest ways you can see that, um, you know, the sex drive uh, it doesn't happen in the marriage is if a guy's, uh, you know, somehow, you know, engaging in other sexual activity outside of his marriage relationship. And that's uh, one of the telltale signs, I'm telling you. Um, yeah, but Brett, we've been married for so many years, and it's just not the same. Um, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. That's what the Bible says. The more you pour into your wife, the more in love you will be with your wife. And uh, so that's something you have to kind of watch out for, too. Um, having to earn love, uh, you know, or having your wife or your, you know, your, uh, you, you know, your, your spouse trying to earn love or uh, approval or attention, you know, the silent treatment for days or weeks, that's abusive, emotionally abusive. Um, okay, so there's physical abuse, the most obvious, emotional abuse, but there's also mental abuse um, that I've seen, and, uh, and, and, you know, this isn't just me, this is, uh, you know, studies and, and uh, pastors who've kind of collaborated, and we, you know, kind of agree that um, mental abuse looks like this, dominating, uh, messing with a person's mind, intimidation, Punitive uh, threats, fear tactics, threatening with anger itself. I'm getting mad, you know, I'm going to get mad at you. Um, or um, if a person, um, you know, like uh, if a person's uh, uh, pretending to punch, uh, that's, that's like a, a mental abuse uh, that's caught trying to put fear into someone. Um, punching toward the face, but shop, stopping just short of contact. Um, uh, I know this almost sounds crazy, have, holding a gun to your wife's head. Um, you bet that doesn't happen. Three times I've had counseling situations 
where I've had to deal with this topic of a man who held a gun to his wife's head. And by the way, if you do that, the police get involved. Jail time will probably be a a part of it, and it should be. Um, This is just ridiculous that um, guys somehow think that that, that that's funny or okay, but apparently there's people that think this because it's happened, and I've actually seen these situations. Um, Each time, by the way, the guy had to go to jail. Uh, Thank the Lord. Um, Extreme financial control. Uh, men will dominate mentally, being in total control of the finances and uh, not, um, not letting uh, the, your wife be a part of that part of your life and your marriage. That's abusive, and the Bible doesn't know anything about that. Um, uh, what's yours is hers. What's hers is yours. Um, these, these couples that have separate checking accounts, if you're one of those people, can I challenge you to rethink that a little bit? Uh, what you're doing is you're allowing yourself to live separate lives. Um, you know, um, it's funny how money... Uh, you know, where your treasure is, there will your heart be. And, and when people start having their money separate, separate checking accounts, and she's got hers, and what she earns is hers, and guys use money all the time for control. Um, and it's really, uh, I think, an abusive thing. Now, I understand, I understand some of you have wives that are shopping animals, and there needs to be loving, careful conversation about vision and direction and goals, uh, and you lovingly work through that. And I know, I know brothers that have real challenges on that, where, where their wives just really are spendaholics, and it's like almost a, an addiction as much as an alcoholic. Uh, there, I know guys that deal with that. That's a separate issue. Um, but, but being controlling with the money so that uh, your wife is... Um, um, is totally at your mercy on every level. That can really be, it can be uh, part of an abusive mental uh, dominance. Uh, and also extreme dominance of activities and what she's doing or not doing can be mentally abusive. Um, so there's physical, emotional, mental, lastly, sexual, sexual abuse. Um, now, um, sexual abuse, what does it look like? Uh, she's forced to do things that she doesn't wanna do. Um, she might be also forced to do sexual acts. Um, there's guys who have tried to make their wives watch pornography, uh, participate in denigrating uh, or degrading um, practices, um, and, um, and even uh, I've actually seen where guys have tried to bring in other uh, sexual partners into their marriage. You know, this whole swinger, goofy, uh, worldly thing that people do, um, that's sexual abuse, and, um, and it should never be done. Um, and, um, and sometimes uh, wives will will sort of, uh, you know, comply with some of these abusive sexual things because they're afraid. Uh, and they can be afraid uh, of being physically hurt, uh, but also um, afraid of what the guy might do. And, and there's guys that I've, I've even had to deal with that were um, threatening that if you don't do this, then I'm going to have to go somewhere that will. Uh, prostitutes or whatever. And, and uh, there's, it's amazing the the sort of the mental abusive things guys can do in the area of sex. Um, and, and so, you know, um, but Brett, I protest. First Corinthians says that the husband's body is the wife's and the wife's body is the husband's. Her body is mine. I can do with it whatever I want. Um, uh, question, uh, have you read the, the rest of the Bible? <laughs> just, just a question. Have you even read Ephesians chapter 5? Um, you know, Ephesians chapter 5 takes away that argument entirely. Um, husbands, this is the number one thing you're called, that I'm called to do as a husband. Would you agree the number one thing in the Bible you and I are called to do is, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. 
Like to me, that's the highest, most important calling of any man who's married. And Jesus, how does he love us? Does he force us? Does he make us do what he wants us to do? Um, like, like as we get into this, we're going to see that the best way to not be an abusive husband, whether we're talking about sexual, emotional, physical, you know, uh, mental, uh, the best way to, to do this is not to study, you know, how to not do it, but study Jesus Christ and how he is with his bride. See, we're called, the church is called the bride of Christ. It's in a way you could say Christ is our husband and we're to treat him in that respectful way that we should be treated, you know, that, w- that we as a husband would want to be treated, but that's the way we're, we're supposed to really uh, love our wives in that way. So the whole arguments that guys try to make about, you know, why a wife should do something by making her do it, that's abusive. It's just abusive, and Christ doesn't even do that. Isn't it interesting that Christ could make us all believe? Christ could make you love him. Jesus could make you uh, do good things, and if you don't, he squishes you like a bug on a windshield. Like, he could do any of this stuff, uh, but Christ, he, he's, he's not the sheepdog barking at our heels. He's the good shepherd who leads us to green pastures and still waters. Um, this is the leadership uh, that's not ogreship. It's leadership. And I hope that as men, we realize that that's our lifelong goal. We'll, we'll get into that as we kind of get more into this. So these, these are some of the identifications I want to make. There's physical, physical abuse will land you in jail. I'm just saying. Um, uh, emotional abuse and mental abuse and sexual abuse, um, so, you know, sometimes I guess sexual abuse could land you in jail. Um, but the problem with emotional abuse and, and mental abuse is there's no laws against that. And guys will use that stuff. And, um, and, and it's, it's abusive. It's still abusive. So the consequences of all these might be different. Like what, you, what happens to the abusive husband that's doing one of these. There's different consequences uh, that happen. But the fact is, it's still all abuse. Um, so let me, let me go through some more thoughts and things. This, this is like some things to check. Um, have you been abusive? Uh, this, this is, and by the way, if you're a guy, I mean, I've never abused my wife. I've never been to any of these things. Um, well, um, maybe, but, but also, uh, it's important for us to recognize these things as abuse because if you and I are going to be iron sharpening iron one another, we need to be able to recognize this in each other. Um, I, I want to challenge Athey Creek men to be observant in how we treat, um, our wives, each other. Um, and like if you, as, let, let me just give you an example. If we're at church, remember the video that we shot uh, of the guys, they were Athey Creek guys acting, you know, remember the guy, you know, uh, you know, walking in with his coffee to church while the wife's carrying the, the you know, the, the baby stuff and, and trying to get the kids hurt up. He's like, come on, let, make it snappy, honey, you know, and like we did all those goofy things. Um, it was, we, we put that, I think it was on like uh, online, you know, and, and we had all these comments, those guys are a bunch of jerks. I'm like, they're actors, they're acting. Um, but the truth is, all of the things that we saw, that we goofily put on that video were things we've actually seen guys do at Athey Creek. They weren't the same guys, but I've watched guys walk in with their coffee and, come on, hurry, hurry up, honey, as she's loading up all the kids and stuff. Like, that's, that's horrible. So my challenge to Athey Creek men is that we become good at pulling a guy aside, say, hey, man, you know, because I, you know, love you and you're my brother, um, the way you're talking to your wife there, like that's that, like, like you need to change the tone of your voice like I think it'd be great is if we kind of held each other accountable a little bit and just observe um, 
and, uh, and not be offended if a guy tells you that, because if a guy tells you that, that he saw something that, and you know, most times I don't think guys are just going to tell you something if they didn't see something. And we can be really hardened toward criticism or toward constructive help, but uh, wouldn't it be something if we kind of, especially you guys that are accountable one to another, like good friends, you're over at your buddy's house and, you know, the wife's cooking dinner and, and he snaps some kind of harsh words. Um, that, that The next time you guys get together in your accountability group to say, you know, we were hanging out the other night, remember when you were talking uh, about the rice and how it was undercooked? That was mean. And you need to, like, soften your, your, your tone. And... Uh, Man, I love how I've got men in my life that will, that will tell me that stuff. And there's a few guys in my life now, not just any guy can come and talk to me, because uh, I get all kinds of criticism. That happens all the time, daily. Um, but there's guys that I've trusted who have my best interest and also my family and my wife's best interest. And there's men in my life that can tell me stuff, and I will listen to them. Uh, even if I disagree, I'm going to think, what am I missing? Um, but wouldn't it be great if we all took that part seriously? Because um, these little things can slip in and you don't even realize you're doing them. So let, let, let's, let's, let's talk about this. Um, do you ever insult or demean or embarrass your wife with put-downs? Or your mother? Or your girlfriend? Um, you know, insulting and demeaning and embarrassing is a way for us to be sort of superior and keep that, you know, the ladies less than the man. Men use that to, to uh, try to put her down. Um, next, do you try to control what she does, who she can talk to, or where she can go? Do you look at her or act in ways that scare her? Um, I've seen men, you know, try to do the whole, you know, angry eye thing like you do to a little preschooler, you know, and give her that glance. Um, that's, that's, that's not cool. Um, do you push her, slap her, choke her, or hit her in any way? Have you ever physically hurt, you know, her? Um, do you stop her from seeing friends or family members? Um, do you fear what she might tell them? Um, and by the way, a real nurturing, loving, happy marriage, you're not afraid of what she's going to go and tell anybody because, man, you've got a dialed-in love relationship. But if you're worried about what she's going to go and say to the pastor, if you go get counsel, um, maybe there's something wrong. Maybe you do need counsel. Um, usually the guy that doesn't want counsel at all and never shows up, he's the guy that needs it the most. Well, um, do you control the money in a relationship? Do you make all the decisions without any of her input or consideration of her needs? Um, a lot of guys do this one, by the way. This is, this is just something that maybe is built into the American culture. Is man, I can make decisions for my family. I don't need to talk to her. But um, the Bible says, submit yourselves one to another. It says that before, right before, it says, wives, submit to your husbands. Verse before, submit yourselves one to another. There is, a, there is a submission order, but the first part of it is submitting one to another. That's important. Do you tell her that she's a bad parent or threaten to take away her children? You know, if we got a divorce, I'd get the kids. If, have you ever found yourself saying stuff like this? This is stuff I, I bump into. This is stuff I hear um, people saying and doing. Um, uh, do you uh, act like abuse is no big deal and you blow it off? denying that there's any emotional or mental abuse and tell her it's her own fault. She'd stop doing this. You know, abuse is never right for any reason. And to think that she deserves anything is just, uh, that's just an abuser mentality right there. Um, have you ever destroyed her property? Not that, you know, I believe in a Christian marriage, what's hers is mine and what's mine is hers. Um, and we mutually have everything in common. 
Um, my wife, I'm always telling her, my wife, Debbie, she's so sweet. She's always like, Brett, you work so hard, and you, know, you put in so many hours, and I feel like I do nothing, and I just, ha, are you kidding me? Like, if you guys knew my wife, she outworks me a hundred times over. My wife, uh, she is a hard-working, uh, in fact, you know, I remember there'd be days I'd say, honey, just take the day. Why don't you and Marna go, you know, shopping? And great. So Tad and I would take the kids for a day. Um, we eventually said, um, okay, why don't you go shopping for two hours? Because, <laughs> man, at the end of a day watching kids, man, we were just pooped. Uh, it was brutal, man, you know. And, and, uh, and, and it's amazing how hard our wives work. And, you know, um, and I've always tried to, to make sure Debbie knows you know, every dollar I've ever earned in working, and I love working, and I do work hard, but, but um, I, I feel like it's, it's in, in some ways more hers than mine because, because uh, I couldn't do anything I do without her. And uh, it's so funny how our wives, I think they just kind of want to say, well, man, you work so hard. Man, I hope you husbands, instead of doing the goofy thing of acting like, yeah, I do all the work, and you're just sitting there. I, like, I hear horrible things that guys say to their wives about this. I'm doing all the work, and, and then you come home and you think you deserve to chill out because you've been working, and she's a stay-at-home mom, and, like, that's an easy job. Um, uh, if you ever were to swap places, I think you'd be pooped, and you'd be like, give me back to work where it's easy. Um, it's amazing how guys have a really foolhardy kind of mentality on, on what it means to, for our wives. Now, if your wife is not only helping with the kids, but also working, man, that's even more tr- trying and difficult. I'm a big fan of the stay-at-home mom because our kids need to be raised by someone other than the, the you know, the preschool teacher and uh, the schools and stuff. I, I'm always impressed by women who are willing to put their career on the hold or on the side for 18 or whatever years and pour into our kids. I mean, um, I know that's an old school, antiquated mentality, but whatever. Uh, my kids were blessed because my, my wife stayed home and did all the hard work while I was off doing the easy stuff of ministering and pastoring and stuff like that. Um, anyway, all that to say, um, uh, destroying her property, uh, you know, intimidating her in it with any kind of items or implements or whatever. Um, have you ever threatened to commit suicide? This is one that I've actually bumped into quite a bit, where a husband will tell the wife, if you don't act this way or do this way, I'm going to take my own life. And, um, and, uh, That scares a a wife probably more than if you were to threaten to kill her. Like, it's amazing what men will do, and I've seen all of these things. Or I've seen men threaten to kill her, actually. So um, these are just, I'm just running through some stuff to kind of get us in that understanding what what, what men do. And I think sometimes guys think that I can do this. I have the right to do this. But that's just abusive. It's not the way Jesus treats his bride at all. Now, um, just kind of getting closer to the end here, um, there's a cycle of abuse that I want you also to recognize um, that, that's kind of important. And, um, and this actually uh, does, in fact, come from psychology. I'll just say it. But I also see it in the Scripture. Whenever you see something in the Scripture that is true, that's in psychology, then, then that's great. We can say, okay, that part of psychology is good. But, um, but one of the things you'll, you'll see in the Bible is um, kind of the way sin creeps in. But uh, I like the way this is put in the context of abuse. Um, first, you have the tension-building phase. Um, if you're newly married or whatever, and, and, and the tension starts to build over common domestic issues like money, children, jobs, and then some verbal abuse starts to take place. Um, you know, um, the, 
Um, and, and, and oftentimes in a newly married situation, here's what happens. I'm just going to say it. Some of you guys, hopefully you'll recognize this if this is you. But in your early part of your marriage, and maybe even in your first 10, 15 years, um, you were in this more tension-building phase where, where by, um, you, you know, uh, the victim of abuse, your, your wife, she will see that you're being verbally abusive, so she'll try to control the situation by being pleasing to you, um, giving in, avoiding the abuse, doing whatever you ask her to do because of the intimidation that you're throwing her way. That's, that's horrible abuse, but that's, that's phase one of what can become really, really even worse. Uh, you know, giving in, avoiding abuse is what she's trying. None of these will stop what comes next. Eventually, the tension reaches a boiling point, um, and it gets worse. Um, it's interesting how abuse can happen um, not even in the first uh, years of marriage. I read a book uh, about abuse, and there's this lady who uh, tells her story. She wrote the book, actually. And, um, you know, she married this guy who was just in love with her, the coolest guy. But then once they got married, he was suddenly uh, intimidated by other men and was very jealous. And she was sure that she was, you know, interested in other men, even though she wasn't. But then he started treating her badly and, and you know, and, and, and being jealous. And, and then, it, you know, and, and it went in through these phases. But the story kind of ends after 20 years of marriage, she ends up being stabbed by her husband with a knife and he ends up going to prison um, and, uh, you know, this, there's a cycle that happens. It goes from the tension-building phase to number two, acute battering episode. Uh, what's that? Well, that's when tension peaks, the physical violence begins. When you actually do something to actually physically harm uh, her, it's um, usually triggered by some event or by uh, um, wherever your mental state is at, whatever it is. But it rarely has to do with... Um, the, the, whatever she has done. It has more to do with the man just not being in a good place at all. Um, this means the start of battering, and it's, and it's un- unpredictable. It's like she has no way of knowing when that's coming, um, which makes it even more scary for, for wives and for women. Um, some experts uh, believe that in some cases victims may, be, may unconsciously provoke the abuse so that they can release the tension they feel that's building and move on to what is called phase number three, the honeymoon phase. This is what they call this, and I, I think I've seen this. So there's, it starts with just tension and verbal abuse, emotional abuse or whatever. Then it goes to a physical acute act of single, uh, and then the husband freaks out, and, and she freaks out, and maybe even get some help with pastors in the church. We've seen this. It's the one-time offender kind of thing. And the honeymoon phase is this. When the tension peaks, the physical violence begins, then... then um, uh, it, it moves into this phase where um, the abuser is ashamed of his behavior, he expresses remorse, he tries to minimize the damage, uh, and, um, and, and maybe even try to shift blame to other things and, uh, and even to her. This is what we see all the time. Um, uh, and he might even exhibit loving and kind behavior and, and even do this for a while. Like we've seen men that are abusers uh, who, you know, we were working with them and they had that one act of abuse and so we were working with them and man, pretty soon they were like, you know, perfect. They were acting perfect, reading their word, praying with their wives, loving, sending flowers, doing all the things they're supposed to be doing and then somewhere months later they, they, uh, they, start, they started letting it all back in uh, and it usually didn't happen just overnight. Um, but generosity, helpfulness, he'll genuinely attempt to be contrite and all that stuff um, but this cycle uh, that I just mentioned 
After that honeymoon phase, then it starts to roll back in. And that's the thing, number one thing we hear from wives. The number one thing we hear is this. Um, he's done this before. Um, he went through all those cycles. And we were in the honeymoon phase for a few weeks or a few months, but now he's right back where we were before. And, um, and so that cycle doesn't really work. And we can think we've won a victory, but then we put a wife and a husband back in their house, and it's still a very dangerous situation. So what are you going to do about that? Well, um, it's interesting because uh, if I were talking to a group of women and wives today, I'd have a very different thing to say. And someday I might do that with our ladies in the church and just have a big get-together and talk about what you do in the case of abuse. Um, <clears throat> that's a tougher conversation, frankly, uh, I'm going to say. Um, and uh, it's tougher on the guys, frankly. <laughs> but, but if I can catch us as men earlier, and if you can help our Athey Creek brothers to know what's, what they're doing is so wrong and us to really come alongside of each other, we can hit this early. See, it's easier when the man is repentant and really wanting help, especially from other brothers, and to seek success and, and to get out of this cycle. Um, and that's what we're, that's what we're kind of looking to do and looking to uh, achieve by all this. Um, so finally, lastly, uh, here's the thing. Um, here's the big mistakes that we make, just quickly, if you're going to sum it up. Women and submission. That's probably the hardest thing that happened in the mentality of, of men is thinking that, why have you better submit to me? If you're a husband and you told your wife she needs to submit to you, you're in error. I'm just going to say it. Has Jesus ever said, submit to me? Did he ever say that to you? No, that's Islam. Right? Islam, the word Islam, what does it mean? Submission. Submit to Allah. That's Islam. Um, the Lord doesn't say that to us. Submit to me. He says, um, I love you. And um, you love me because I first loved you. And I gave my life for you. I gave everything for you. And he graciously saves us, saves us by grace. He doesn't demand it from us. He'll even let you go to hell if you really want to. But, but he doesn't force himself upon you. Um, the, the idea of submission, uh, of wives submitting to their husbands, we've, we've got it where somehow we think it's us telling them to do what we tell them to do. That's not what the husband, um, the, the word submission in that context of Ephesians 5 means that she's under the covering of, protection of, under a roof. So that when a wife is to submit to her husband, she gets to, it's a get to. She gets to be under the covering and we get to cover and take the hits. You know, when the snow and the hail and the rain comes, that's our job to protect our wives from any harm, from any hurt, and she's submitted to that covering. It's meant to be a blessing, not a bummer. So guys get it all wrong. Submit to me, woman. Eh, totally wrong. Uh, if that's your mentality, you need to repent because that's not Christ at all. Um, also, this whole thing of that men are better than women, we got to change that attitude. It's an inward attitude that needs to happen. The secret sins we were talking about, an attitude that men are better than women. You may never say that with your mouth, but maybe in your heart you think, I'm smarter than my wife. She's always, oh man, she drives weird. Um, she thinks differently. Um, have you ever been caught, uh, and this, this happens all the time if you're married, where you, you might think you're smarter on something and then your wife actually knows something more than you do and it actually came out? Happens to me all the time. Uh, my wife is so smart. But um, the thing is, if you're a man who thinks women are generally dumb, 
then you've got to repent from that sin because uh, the Bible knows nothing of it. Galatians 3.28 says this, there's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither bond nor free, there's neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Um, to God, not that men and women are the same, that's not what God's saying, but, but um, the, the idea is that men and women were not better than or, uh, or any of that stuff. Another scripture uh, to put under this category of men being better than women, no. Um, in fact, the mentality that you and I are supposed to have uh, doesn't get any better than this description, if you ask me. Philippians chapter two, well, let me just read it to you. You guys know this, many of us have it memorized. If there be any consolation in Christ, any comfort of love, any fellowship of the Spirit, any bowels and mercies, what's he saying? He's being facetious. Is there any comfort in love? Of course. If there's any heart and mercy from God, of course. He's saying that. He's being kind of ridiculous is the, is the point. I said, if, if, if any of this is true, basically, he says, then fulfill ye my joy that you be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind, let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. You know, this isn't a marriage chapter, but Philippians chapter two is one of the best marriage chapters in the Bible. If you as a husband say, I'm gonna esteem my wife as better than myself, not just in, in you know, word, but in my heart, in, my, in the depth of my soul, that my wife is better than I am. Because, guys, I gotta just break to you, it's true. I mean, it's, it's like logistically true. Um, your wife is better than you. I rarely do I meet a guy that has, I go, man, how did, how did she get him? You know, I've done over a thousand weddings and, and I can maybe think of one. <laughs> maybe one where I'm like, wow, she's really lucky. But most of them I'm like, man, how did he get her? I mean, this guy's dog ugly and he's kind of weird and look at her, she's amazing and smart. And like, it's really amazing to me. Um, but that's what the Bible says is, as a husband or as a we're just to esteem others generally better than the, themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man on the things of others. Let this mind or attitude be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, took upon himself the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, became obedient to death, even the death of the cross. There's the Jesus man right there. The, the, the Jesus man. He's the guy that dies to himself. He's the guy that prefers other people ahead of himself. He's the person who esteems everybody else as better than they are. He's the one that chooses to be like-minded. Even though there's differences, he chooses to be like-minded, having the same love. He's the one who's a peacemaker. He's one who's blessing others. He's one who may have a certain greatness, but puts himself in, in no reputation, doesn't try to be the big shot, but just is a, a, a man of greatness as Jesus was. Um, like the Jesus man looks very different than the American man um, or the man's man. Jesus' man is a very different guy and he's dying to himself, giving up his rights, his desires, even his dreams so that others might be blessed. Um, that's the goal here. You see, um, when we talk about abuse, the best course of action is to say, I'm just gonna dump my personality, I'm gonna dump who I am and who I think I should be and what I deserve, and I'm gonna just be like Jesus. I know that sounds trite, I know that sounds like, oh yeah, just what would Jesus do? But man, we gotta get back to saying, brothers, we need to treat our wives as Jesus treats his church. 
That's the answer. Um, And we can cut all the other pain and suffering off at the pass. The horrible counseling once there is abuse, that's no fun. You know, getting the cops called, that's no fun. Um, Having your wife leave you because you're a total jerk, that's no fun. But nipping in the bud and being more like Christ, like Peter, when we read Peter 3, 7, there's a huge blessing for the man that treats his wife with honor. Man, if we can get this stuff now and get it early before the abuse ever happens, then the man's going to be blessed. And then I would, I would suggest not only the man, but the wife's going to be blessed, which makes the man even more blessed. You know, ha, ha, what is it? Um, happy wife, happy life. It's true. It's really, really true. Unhappy wife, you're going to have a, a hard life. But uh, the truth is, it, it starts with the man. First um, Corinthians 11 says, the woman is the glory of the man. What's that mean? Well, the word glory, if you look it up in the Greek word, it's the shining out or the reflection of the man. So if your wife is, is angry and upset and, um, you know, uh, what's the word, nagging you, uh, then you have to look in the mirror and say, what am I doing wrong? Because the woman is the shining out, the reflection of the man. And I would argue that the man that is treating his wife as Christ treats us. Like Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. The man that's doing that, the wife will, it might take time. And I'm not even going to say she's going to be perfect or any of that stuff, but it's going to make it a lot better. And you need to be what's, what, do what's right before God, no matter what she's doing or not doing. Uh, too many men are saying, yeah, but she, yeah, but Pastor Brett, she. And, and the truth is, as men, that's the wimpiest posture a guy can ever take. The man's man says, um, I'm going to try to help her in every way I can, but I'm going to really be more concerned about how I'm doing. How am I treating her? What is my demeanor toward her? Even if she's the most, was it John Wesley or the, who, Chris, was it John Wesley whose wife dragged, her, dragged him around the, the house by the hair? <laughs> you know, John Wesley, we thought he was a great hero of faith in times past, and he was. One of the things he did is he preached like eight sermons a day. He rode his horse around and preached sermons all day, everywhere, all the time. And I I think I know why. (laughs) I think it was tough going home for that poor boy, man. He'd go home and his wife would grab him by the hair and drag him around the house. Um, uh, And he was kind of stuck with that. Now, I don't know if he was doing something wrong or if she was just had a proclivity to drag him around. But but, um, you know, he's in heaven now, probably not, uh, not regretting what he, what, that he served the Lord. And, you know, the thing is, I, I hope that as brothers, we can, we can take this issue seriously. And it's not just the men in this room, but this old Jesus man that I'm talking about, the Philippians 2 man, who's looking not on your own things, but on the things of others and dying to yourself. Man, this will help us in every area of life, let alone abuse. Abuse cannot happen if a man is doing this, Philippians chapter 2, what it says here. So um, there's some food for thought, stuff to do, things to think about. Um, that's going to be kind of the thing. Um, <clears throat> let's, let's, let's make it a, a bit of a goal, brothers, to say, let's be Jesus men. I know it sounds trite. I know it sounds like, oh yeah, Jesus man. But when you're with your brother and you see him doing something wrong, maybe you can pull him aside and say, remember the, the Jesus man? Let's, let's work on that. And what you said there to your wife, that wasn't a Jesus man thing. And let's come alongside of each other and help. Are you guys willing to do that? Stand with each other, be willing to even, you know, faithful are the wounds of a friend. If nobody's there telling you when you need to correct something, then maybe they're not really your friend. Um, I'm, I'm thankful that I have good friends who, who will tell me some of the things I need to hear. 
You know, this is a heavy subject, I know, abuse, and I'm surprised anybody showed up today. I'm, I'm proud of you guys for being here on a Saturday morning to talk about abuse. But um, man, I, I think that, that there's some real trouble, and it's one of the hidden secret sins of the church, largely, that needs to be fixed. So may the Lord give us the grace to be more like Jesus men. Amen? Lord, I pray that just this, we're just scratching the surface, I think, on this topic. Um, but I pray, Lord, uh, first of all, for situations, maybe even in our fellowship, that are unknown or maybe haven't really been dealt with. Lord, I pray that you would just, um, as you do, lovingly bring those topics to the surface before they get t- too bad. Lord, I pray that you'd, you'd equip the brothers in this church to know how to fight against that temptation um, to be abusive in any way, shape, or form. Lord, I pray that, um, that Athey Creek women would be the most loved on, cared for, honored women on the planet. Help us with that, Lord. I pray that when our spirit is willing, even on this Saturday morning, we admit that our flesh becomes weak. And so I pray that you just give each one of these guys and all the men of Athey Creek strength to follow your truth and to be the men you've called us to be. Help us, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together.